Okay, this is going to be Chapter 3 of the AABB Technical Manual, 19th edition. And if you've been following um, Part 2 and Part 3, had a little bit of technical difficulties there. Uh, sorry about that. So hopefully you can just go back and read read the chapters. So Chapter 3 is on the regulatory considerations in transfusion medicine and cellular therapies. So this is also um, written by Joseph Swartz and Origi Ill, both MDs. So the fields of transfusion medicine and cellular therapy are highly regulated disciplines. Over the years, different regulatory bodies have provided oversight in both the state and federal levels in the United States. The Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, are the primary regulatory bodies providing federal oversight. In addition, state health departments and other agencies um, may provide some degree of regulatory oversight. Individuals and establishments involved with transfusion medicine and cellular therapies should be familiar with different requirements of these agencies. It is important to distinguish between regulation and accreditation. Regulation have the force of law, while accreditation standards are not legally binding. Blood banks, transfusion services, and cellular therapy facilities must follow the rules set by regulatory agencies. So let's go back and review that. Regulations have the force of the law, while accreditation standards are not legally binding. In contrast, accreditation organizations such as AABB or the Joint Commission publish specific sets of standards that need to be met in order for accreditation, accreditation to be granted. Some regulatory agencies will grant deeming authority to select accreditation organizations. For example, CMS regulates laboratory testing through the Clinical Laboratory Improvement Amendments, or CLIA. CMS accepts certain accreditation organization inspections, meaning that the organizations have been approved by CMS as having standards and an inspection process that meet or exceed the CMS requirements. Table 3-1 summarizes agencies and organizations involved in regulation and accreditation of blood bank, transfusion medicine, and cellular therapy facilities. And that table is on page 78 of the manual. The scope of their regulatory oversight and or accreditation is detailed on these organizations' respective websites. So table 3-1 talks about what they are. So the Food and Drug Administration, or the FDA, CMS, we just talked about that. The Department of Homeland Security is a regulatory um, environmental protection agency, or the EPA is regulatory. OSHA is regulatory. Local state departments of health are regulatory the U.S. Department of Transportation, and the National Fire Protection Association, and FPA. Those are all regulatory. And remember, regulations have the force of the law. So ones that are the accrediting standards, remember, they're not legally binding. 
And those organizations would include AABB, CAP, the Joint Commission, Foundation for the Accreditation of Cellular Therapy, or FACT, National Bone Marrow Donor Program, or NMDP, World Marrow Donor Association, the American Association for Laboratory Accreditation. So the FDA oversight of blood establishments. Let's talk about the FDA. In the United States, when federal laws are enacted by Congress, they are published as statutes and placed in the appropriate subject areas or titles of the United States Code or the USC. Sorry, got a yawn. <clears throat> Regulations created by <clears throat> federal agencies. Hang on one second. Okay. Regulations created by federal agencies to reinforce laws are placed by title in the Code of Federal Regulations, or the CFR. The Food Administration, the FDA, is the federal agency that enforces the federal laws related to drugs and biologics, which include blood and blood components, related devices, and manufacturing facilities. Section 351 of the Public Health Service Act and the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act are two statutes that govern the regulation of blood and blood components. So again, that's Section 351 and the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, that's the 21 USC, are the two statutes that govern regulation of blood and components. The PHS Act defines blood and blood components as biological products. This law was first established in 1944 as an expansion of the Biologics Control Act. In addition to requiring that biological products be manufactured in a manner to assure the safety, purity, and potency of the product, the PHS Act requires a manufacturer to obtain a biological license before placing a product in interstate commerce. In addition, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or the DHHS, has broad authority to prevent communicable disease transmission under Section 361 of the PHS Act, 42 U.S.C. 264. The FDA regulates drugs and medical devices under the FD&C Act, which was first passed in 1938 and amended in 1976. Under this act, blood and blood components are defined as drugs because they are intended to cure, mitigate, treat, or prevent disease in humans. Manufacture of drugs and certain devices must demonstrate to the FDA the safety and efficacy, efficacy, E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y of a product before it can be marketed. The FDC Act requires blood product manufacturers to register with the FDA, obtain biologics licenses, and follow current good manufacturing practice regulations. It also pro prohibits adulteration and misbranding of products, 
authorizes inspection of manufacturing facilities, and defines civil and criminal penalties for violations. The Act provides requirements for the use of unapproved drugs and devices in their investigational phases and in public health emergencies. Within the FDA, the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, or CBER, regulates blood products and most other biological therapies. CBER uses multiple overlapping safeguards to ensure that recipients of blood products and cellular therapies are protected. The FDA blood safety system includes measures in the following areas, donor screening, donor testing, donor deferral lists, quarantine, and investigation of deficiencies. The Center for Devices and Radiological Health, CDRH, regulates most medical devices, but CBER retains primary jurisdiction over medical devices used with blood donation, transfusion, and cellular products. The FDA's Office of Regulatory Affairs, or ORA, has responsibility for all field operations, which include inspections and investigations of blood and device manufacturers. FDA promulgates applicable regulations for blood and blood components and related devices under both the PHS and the FD&C Acts. Regulations for blood products are found in Parts 210, 211, and 600 through 680 of CFR Title 21. So again, let's look at that number again. Regulations for blood products are found in Parts 210, 211, and 600 through 680 of CFR Title 21. These regulations are intended to ensure blood safety and the safety, purity, and potency of blood and blood components. In addition, blood establishments are required to report deaths associated with blood donation or transfusion to the FDA. Table 3.2 or 3-2 provides a summarized list of relevant regulations applicable to blood establishments. And that's on page 80 of the technical manual. On May 22, 2015, the FDA published, I quote, requirements for blood and blood components intended for transfusion or for manufacturing use, end quote. Coded under Part 600 of Title 21 of CFR, this rule updated FDA's previous requirements. The new requirements include a determination of donor eligibility and donor suitability, as well as regulations to help protect donor health. Manufacturers of blood and blood components may submit written requests to the FDA for approval of exceptions or alternative procedures to any requirement in the regulations. When the FDA grants approvals of exceptions or alternative procedures, the circumstances for these approvals may not necessarily apply to other facilities. These approvals are periodically published on the FDA's website. In addition to regulations, which are legally binding, the FDA may publish recommendations in guidance documents. These guidance documents generally explain FDA's current thinking on an issue. The guidance may clarify or explain 
how manufacturers may comply with the statute of regulations or establish good manufacturing standards for blood products. FDA guidance documents generally do not establish legally enforceable responsibilities unless specific regulatory or statutory requirements are cited. Alternative approaches to the recommendations stated in guidance documents may be used if approaches satisfy the requirements of the applicable law, law or statute. As part of the development process for FDA regulations and guidance documents, several forums are offered for input from the public and regulatory industry. Proposed rules and draft guidance documents are published with an invitation for written comments, which are filled in public dockets. When final rules are published in the Federal Register, the accompanying preamble responds to key questions and comments submitted by the public. The FDA also receives petitions to write or change regulations. Expert opinions on current issues are sought from several adversary committees, including the FDA Blood Product Advisory Committee, its Cellular Tissue and Gene Therapy Advisory Committee, and the DHHS Advisory Committee on Blood and Tissue Safety and Availability. Public meetings and workshops hosted by the FDA on selected topics provide an additional opportunity for input. Registration of blood establishments and device manufacturers. The FDA has promulgated regulations that require blood establishments, 21 CFR 607, and device manufacturers, 21 CFR 807, to register their manufacturing facilities and list the products they manufacture. All establishments that manufacture blood products are required to register with the FDA unless they are exempt under 21 CFR 607.65. Regulatory, sorry, my highlighter isn't working. Registrants must provide a list of every blood product manufacturer prepared or processed for commercial distribution. Manufacturers must register and list their products within five days of beginning operations and annually. Blood establishments, including blood and plasma donor centers, blood banks, transfusion services, and other blood product manufacturers, and independent laboratories that engage in testing of donors and blood and blood components. Facilities that routinely collect blood, including adologous units, or perform such procedures as radiation, washing, pre-storage leukocyte reduction, pooling or freezing, deglycerization, and regeneration must register with the FDA. Give me one second while I highlight that, because I think that's important information. Transfusion services acting as depots for forwarding products to other hospitals must register and as register as distribution centers. Let me highlight that again, because that's important. If blood irradiation is performed outside the blood bank or transfusion service, such as in a nuclear medicine department, that facility must register as well. Transfusion services that do not collect or process blood or blood components are exempt from registration requirements in 21 CFR 607. 
in order to be exempt, they must, they must be part of a facility certified under CLIA 1988-42 USC 263A and 42 CFR 493 or certified for reimbursement by CMS. Their manufacturing activities are basic, such as compatibility tests, preparing red cells from whole blood, converting unused plasma to recovered plasma, pooling certain blood components immediately before transfusion, reducing leukocytes and blood components with bedside filters, or collecting blood only in emergency situations. Under the memorandum of understanding in 1980 between the FDA and CMS, the responsibility for routine inspections of these transfusion services was assigned to CMS. The FDA, however, still has jurisdiction over transfusion services and may conduct its own inspections if warranted. Licensure of blood and blood components manufacturers. Blood and blood component manufacturers who distribute blood products in interstate commerce must be registered and licensed. The blood establishment blood establishment obtains licensure by submitting a biologics license application to the FDA. That's a BLA. The FDA's review of the BLAs typically includes the review of supporting documents such as standard operating procedures, labels, quality control data, and a pre-license facility inspection. Once a license is issued, the license number is placed on the label for those products approved to be distributed in interstate commerce. In addition, licensed manufacturers are required to inform the FDA of changes in the manufacturing process described in their approved BLA. The reporting category for such changes depends on the potential of the change to adversely impact the safety, purity, and potency of the product. The FDA has published specific guidelines, changes to an approved application to assist blood establishments in determining the appropriate reporting mechanism. As described in the guidance, the three reporting categories into which change to be an approved application may be placed are defined as 21 CFR 601-12 and are as follows. So there's three different ones. There's a major change, a moderate change, and a minor change. So a major change is a change that has substantial potential to have an adverse effect on the safety or effectiveness of the product. Major changes require the submission of the prior approval supplement or pass to the FDA, which the FDA must approve before the product is distributed in interstate commerce. Moderate change, a change that has moderate potential to have an adverse effect on the safety or effectiveness of the product. Moderate changes requires the submission of a changes being affected in 30-day supplement to the FDA at least 30 days before interstate distribution of the product made using the change. In certain circumstances, the FDA may determine that the product made using the change may be distributed immediately upon receipt of the changes being affected supplement.
And then you have a minor change. A change that has minimal potential to have an adverse effect on the safety or effectiveness of the product. Minor changes do not need prior approval from the FDA and must be described by the manufacturer in an annual report. So, um, just looking back here about the transfusion surfaces do not need to do not collect or process blood and blood complaints or exempt from registration requirement. Okay, so then we go into blood-related devices. CBER has, which remember is the Center of Biologics Evaluation and Research, has led responsibility for devices marketed for transfusion and the collection and processing of blood products and hematopoietic progenitor cells, or HPCs. These devices include apheresis machines, device and reagents used for compatibility testing, blood establishment computer software, and blood in human cells, tissues, and cellular and tissue-based product, HCTP screening tests for infection diseases. The medical device classifications are based on the risks the device possesses to the patient and the user on the level of controls that may be necessary to ensure the device can be operated safely and effectively. So there's three classes, class one, two, and three. Class one medical devices represent the lowest risk to patient or user. Such devices are subject to a comprehensive set of regulatory authorities called general controls. General controls are applicable to all classes and devices. Examples of class 1 devices include copper sulfate solutions for hemoglobin screening, blood grouping view boxes, and heat sealers. Class 2 medical devices carry greater potential or user risks than class 1 devices. These are devices for which general controls alone are insufficient to provide reasonable assurance of the safety and effectiveness of the device, and for which there is sufficient information to establish special controls to provide such assurance. Most blood-related devices are in Class II and cleared through the 510K pathway, where a device is found to show equivalence to a predicate. Class 3 medical devices carry the greatest risk of the three device classifications. These are devices for which general controls by themselves are insufficient and for which there is insufficient information to establish special controls to provide reasonable assurance of their safety and efficiency. Efficacy. I gotta figure out what that word is. E-F-F-I-C-A-C-Y. Let's look that up right now. Efficiency, efficiency. And let's see what Google has to say. Efficacy, the ability to produce a desired or intended result. Still can't say it. Okay, but anyways, tests used to determine red cell antigen type by molecular methods are regulated as class three devices. So tests used to determine red cell antigen type by molecular methods, type 3. So that would be your HEA panels. 
Okay, so the FDA approved some blood-related devices under the PHS Act and therefore requires the submission of BLAs or related supplements. These devices include reagents used for immunohematology testing by serological methods, methods and most donor screening infection disease assays, like, for example, tests for human immunodeficiency virus or HIV or the hep B virus or the hep C virus. The FDA requires device manufacturers to register and list the products they manufacture. Each device category is assigned a code and all cleared or approved manufacturers and products of that code are searchable in the established registration and device listing database on the CDRH website. Manufacturers and importers of medical devices must report deaths and serious injuries related to medical devices to the FDA. That's under 21 FFR 803. User facilities must report deaths and serious injuries in which a device was or may have been a factor. Serious injury is defined as life-threatening, causing permanent impairment or damage, or needing medical or surgical intervention. For, for user facilities, reports of serious injuries are sent to the device manufacturer using the FDA MedWatch form 3500A within 10 working days of the event or to the FDA if the manufacturer is unknown. So, reports of serious injuries are sent to the device manufacturer within 10 days of the event. Deaths must be reported to both the manufacturer and the FDA. In years where a Form 3500A report is submitted, the user facility must send an annual user facility report to the FDA by January 1st of the following year. Users may voluntarily report other device-related adverse events or malfunctions to the FDA. All possible adverse events, whether reported or not, must be investigated and these records must be kept on file for a minimum of two years. Interesting stuff. Okay, so let's hope that nobody else, you know, any no manufacturer fails because that's hard stuff to remember. So the FDA inspections. The FDA inspects regulated facilities to determine compliance with regulations. Now remember, regulations have the laws where um, accrediting does not. So the inspections are, can be classified as one of the following. A pre-license or pre-approval inspection after a manufacturer submits an application to the FDA for a biologics license or to market a new device or product. Or for routine inspection of a regulated facility or in quote, for cause, end quote, inspection, which involves investigation of specific problem that has come to the FDA's attention, such as a complaint or a fatality. The FDA's aura ORA and cyber oversee inspection activities related to transfusion medicine and blood banking. The inspection of a blood establishment is to ensure manufacturers meet the standards described 
and applicable provisions of the regulations intended to protect donors and ensure the safety and efficiency of the products they make. These include regulations for blood components in the CFR Title 21, Part 600, 601, 606, 607, 610, 630, and 640, as well as the process and production controls, equipment regulations, and quality control requirements in 21 CFR 211. That's on Table 3-2 as well. The licensed manufacturers must also meet any additional conditions of licensure incorporated in their approved BLA. So what does the BLA stand for again? Let's take a look. It had something to do with change. The BASL, the blood. BAL. Described in their B. Oh, that's right. The BLAs is the Biologics License Application. So, BLA, Blood License Application. When a blood establishment applies for a blood license application, or BLA, the facility is generally inspected by a team from CBER and ORA. Subsequent routine inspections are generally performed by ORA every two years or sooner depending on the facility's compliance history. ORA provides the publishes and publishes policies and instructions for FDA investigators. There is a specific compliance program guidance manual for inspectors of licensed and unlicensed blood banks. The foundations for blood establishment inspections are in the general FDA regulations for current good man manufacturing practice and drugs and the specific requirements for blood components. All inspections address the FDA's five layers of blood safety. Investigators review the following operational systems that are associated with the layers of safety. Quality assurance, donor eligibility, product testing, quarantine inventory management, and production and processing. Right, Mr. Rowe. Within each system, the investigators review standard operating procedures, personnel and training, facilities, equipment calibration and maintenance, and records, specific requirements, and individual systems and processes are discussed in detail in their respective chapters of the CPGM, or Compliance Program Guidance Manual. Full inspections of all systems are designated Level 1. After two favorable inspection profiles, facilities will only four or five systems sometimes have streamlined Level 2 inspections of three systems. Pre-license and pre-approval inspections or for cause investigations for complaints or fatalities need not follow these formats because they are more focused on a specific issue. If the FDA investigator observes that significant objectable practices, violations, or conditions are present that could result in a drug or device being adulterated or injurious to health, 
These observations are written and presented to the facility on FDA Form 483. The FDA Form 483 serves to notify the manufacturer of the objectionable conditions and does not constitute a final determination of whether a violation has occurred. Investigators are instructed to seek and record the manufacturer's intentions to make corrections. The investigator documents observations and discussions in an established inspection report, or an EIR. The FDA reviews and considers all the information provided in a Form 483, the established inspection report, the EIR, and any responses from the manufacturer and then determines what further action, if any, is appropriate to protect public health. The FDA can take a number of enforcement actions in response to a violation. Enforcement actions are categories as advisory, administrative, or judicial. So again, the enforcement actions are categorized as adversary, advisory, sorry, administrative, or judicial. Under advisory actions, the FDA issues a warning or an untitled letter informing the manufacturer of non-compliant activities that could impact donor safety or result in the distribution of an unsafe biological product. The letters provide the facility with the opportunity for voluntary compliance. Administration actives include product recalls, withdrawals of product approvals, formal citations of violation, and for licensed facilities. Suspension or revocation of a license. Judicial actions range from seizures of products to court injunctions, civil monetary penalties, and criminal prosecution. Okay. And I think we're going to stop there. And pick up part two in a few minutes. So this was chapter three of the AABB technical manual, part one, 19th edition. Thanks.